Hi folks, you're on Radio FM88 Australia. We're broadcasting from Springwood, Queensland, Australia. And currently in our studios here in Springwood, we have um, my mate, living the, living the life of luxury. I know, look at this. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. What are you You're coming in from Aspen, Colorado, eh? One of those bloody fantastic <laughs> places. Anyway, so um, in our travels, uh, we happened to be in Bribey Island some six weeks ago, was it? And um, we come across this uh, world traveler. That's the best way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> and so as result we've actually asked Melanie to come in and um, give her the opportunity to give us all a brief about taking a step out and living life but like uh, Julia Roberts in the, the movie uh, Eat, Pray and Love. <laughs> Is that right? Eat, love, pray. Eat, pray, love, pray, eat, love. Anyway it's all happening. So uh, welcome and I'll pass you on to uh, Julia. Hello everyone. Welcome to Dreaming the New Dream. Yes we're delighted that you can join us and that we have Melanie Kay, originally hailing from San Francisco. Melanie is a crystalline grid mechanic, originally a family therapist by training. Was doing the commute, going into town, etc., and um, being told to pretend she wasn't doing the spiritual stuff. <laughs> and she said, nope, I'm not gonna pretend I'm, I'm mainstream and um, and um, dedicated herself to that and set off in 2018, left San Francisco, and um, has a passion for bringing starseeds, lightworkers, and magical beings together amongst earth, plants, animals, minerals, and spirit energies for the service of Gaia and her ascension. Now, you don't often meet someone who is full time in this line of work. <laughs> <laughs> And um, somehow Gaia's sort of swung her across to Uluru and then to Bribey. So we're actually probably going to go backwards with, <laughs> with Melanie and find out sort of like, welcome to Brisbane and um, what on earth got you to Uluru? Yeah, that's a great, great um, question. You know, I was actually telling a couple of women today, um, as I was telling my story again, I was telling them how Uluru was the last chakra of the earth that I that I um, ended up landing on. So uh, there's a theory out there that there's these chakras of the earth and there's these major, major vortexes where the, the big dragon lines or the big song lines or the big ley lines move through. Um, there's a beautiful website about that. Um, go just look into chakras of the earth and I'm sure it'll come up for you. But uh, you'll see how the, how those ley lines travel through the earth and they intersect at different points and then they go, cross through different vortexes and Uluru is one of them. It's a solar plexus chakra of the planet. Now I, I ended up, um, it was actually in my heart that I wanted to do that work uh, but it wasn't until I set out in traveling that I realized I was actually going to accomplish that mission. And um, and Uluru was my final destination. And that's where I landed before COVID happened. And so now I thought I was going to be leading tours at these sacred centers of the planet. And I thought I was going to be doing these sacred earth activation tours at these chakra points of the planet. But actually when I landed in Uluru, um, right when the COVID came through, 
in March 2020. Uh, they were like, no, you're going to stay in Australia. So here I am. <laughs> hey, um, what do you call a crystalline grid worker? Then? What's that? Yeah, crystalline grid work. I mean, so that's kind of what I'm talking about. This there's um there's actually a beautiful organic design of ley lines and energy pathways on the planet. And um, just like our body has all these meridians, so would be the earth, because we are a macrocosm of or a microcosm of the macrocosm. So as we have this in our body and it's been studied and it's been proven through a lot of traditional Chinese medicine and other practices, the earth has these meridians and ley lines as well. And if you're sensitive enough in your physical bo body and being, and you're sensitive enough, sensitive enough with your connection to the planet, you can feel these energy currents and uh, they're also known as telluric currents. They're like magnetic resonances and rivers that run through the earth. And if you are sensitive enough to pick that up, you can actually feel how they're flowing or not flowing in any particular area, wherever you are. Um, I think it's an, even interesting on my ride down here, I haven't taken the tram um, since I've been in Australia. I haven't taken a TransLink or a bus. And I did this whole journey to get down here and just riding these, um, these certain uh, pathways that are already you know, designed by nature, but then we actually respond to it by designing pathways of movement through roads and, and trams and whatnot. You can actually feel where things are open, where things are closed, where things are blocked or um, you know congested. And so that's something that I'm attentive and aware to. And on my earth walk, I'm helping to maybe just witness that and somehow help um, navigate that or unbind some of the energies that may be stuck. Right. That's beautiful. I mean, I think, um, yeah, scientists have pro proven, you know, we all know that birds navigate with mag magnet, um, along magnetic, magnetic ley lines and that they've got crystals in the brains and humans do as well. But how did you develop your ability to, to feel these uh, toroidal, toroidal currents? Um, great question. Uh, I was actually thinking about that today because I, I had a sense that you were going to ask that question. Um, and I was really thinking back to like, when was the first time I was called to really be with the land in a way that made any kind of difference? You know, where I really knew I was there and I made a difference. Um, and it was actually uh, in response to, I had... I, you know, I was living in San Francisco and there were so many healers and different people that were doing, you know, they were doing like hoop play. There's a whole range of people doing a lot of different healing modalities over there. And they, and there's some people that have decided to like rename themselves. And I think you probably have this trend as well in Australia where people name themselves Shakti, you know, circumference or, you know, like uh, Rama, blah, blah, blah. Like there's a lot of people that have like renamed themselves. It's not their original name, but it's they, they claim to be their spiritual names. And I'm kind of making jest of it right now. But at the time I was like, I, I don't want to just rename myself from my brain. I actually want to re, I want my spiritual name. And I know that I have one. That's not the name that I was birthed of. And so I asked for that. I actually, I was, you know, at that time remembering my connection with crystals and I was remembering my connection to like doing ceremony work and, and I was doing that in little tiny ways, like just burning incense, just 
getting crystals that I felt intuitively called to just, you know, doing working with cards and, and that kind of thing. And then I really asked for my spiritual name. Um, and it took about nine months. I was very impatient, but I had to forget about it. I had to forget about me asking. And then I got this major dream, this major dream. It was a very lucid dream. It came in and it was telling me about these three little bears, three little bears, Iti, Ishe, Ute. Oh. And that's where, I mean, I think you have that in my bio, right? I put it in my bio, mm -hmm. Iti, Ishe, Ute. And I woke up remembering it so clearly. I wrote it all down. I knew it was three little bears. And when I looked more closely into these names, E.T., um, I think I found somehow when I was looking through that pathway meant truth. And then Ishe, a, a totally different culture, meant like community mm -hmm. and harmony in community. And then Ute actually what is, an, is a um, Northern American Indian tribe, um, or they call it the Ute Indian tribe. Right. And they, their totem was bear totem. And that really resonated with me. And so I started looking up their um, territory and where they had their place. And there was a park there called Dinosaur National Monument. And I was like, I know I need to go there. I just knew. I just I intuitively knew I needed to go there. And so I um, I made a, a week long trip without any plans to go to Dinosaur National Monument. And I went. And I surrendered myself to the unknown, which at that time, I'm, I'm learning how to do this is actually not easy to learn how to drop yourself into the unknown so deeply where you really are like, I'm not going to actually make a pathway and a route to where I'm going. I'm going to let spirit guide me on the road as I'm driving to turn here and turn there. So like that's that's literally how I left, let it be. I had so many, so I was riddled with doubt, riddled with confusion, riddled with the unknown. And I ended up going down into this point um, in Dinosaur National Monument where there's this whole uh, river that turns into a couple of different rivers. And I, I just, I felt like I got there and I just needed to sleep. And I slept. I was just like, okay, I'm just going to pass out. I'm just going to sleep. I'm going to just do what needs to be done. And after that, I drove this whole pathway, not knowing, not knowing. And I got to the end of this kind of ridge that I was traveling along, just so confused, like, what, you're not, what are you doing? You're just, cra you're a crazy person. That's really what I was telling myself inside. Um, and there was a sign on the side of the road. So I pulled off and I looked and it was actually that I had just traveled the Ute Indian migration pathway. Wow. Yeah. From Dinosaur National Monument all the way up through this ridge. They traveled that back and forth from spring to summer or from winter to summer. Um, yeah, because of the elevation and because of the different landscape, that was their pathway every single year. And I traveled it through my subconscious. So that was something that just absolutely anchored in the truth of what this is to follow your intuition and actually to do this work. And later, when I was getting a ride to the airport from my friend, um, his friend's sister gave me a ride, and she had this pack of cards in her in her glove box. I don't know why, I just looked in her glove box, but there was this pack of cards from Dinosaur National Monument. And the place that I had done the energy work was actually at this river crossing that was on the ace of some, I don't remember what, what 
uh, suit it was, but it was on the ASIP card and it said the history of it on the back and it actually spoke about there being a big protest there. They were gonna dam that whole river and because of the protest, they didn't. So I think there was an energy, that was the message to me that I had cleared this conflict energy that was there with this, con when, you know, with the, there were not only Indians there, but there were, it was in the seventies and there were protesters there as well as people that really wanted to capitalize on that river system. Is this in Alberta, Canada? No, that was in Dinosaur National Monument, right in the border of Colorado and Utah. Oh, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm. So that was when I really first knew, like, okay, there's something about this land work, you know, and I, and um, and then I just I found some mentors to help put a little bit of framework around it. Started to become more conscious, so I didn't have to go to these places and just fall asleep. I could actually be conscious and sit and meditate and actually let the energy come through me. But yeah, that's just how it arose naturally. So when you sit and meditate in a space that you've arrived at, and you know, I can really resonate with what you're saying because you know, I've I've had the same thing where I'm driving back from from the bush. And I've let my daughter navigate and um, not really worried about where we're going. And then for some reason, I get this magnetic pull, like I've actually got to stop and touch the land hmm. and connect to it. And I suspect that was more of a past life, but it was it was very physical and tangible. And um, equally, I know that suddenly um, people always get drawn to places um, that actually have the energy that is also good for them or which needs to be fixed, you know, as it's... Um, um, so I, I can understand that, but when you say you sit there and meditate and you just let the energy flow through, are you connecting with a certain, um, you know, with Gaia or with a certain planetary or source energy? What, which energy are you kind of being a channel for? Thanks. That's a great question. I um, Well, now, now that I have a little bit more structure to the work that I do, if I go to a certain place, I, I have a little bit of a um, planet program um, but it's open and it's loose. So first I'll create the sacred space. So, you know, if I bring crystals with me or if I bring offerings with me or all of the above, candles, incense, you know, these kind of things, if I bring all that stuff with me, um, then I'll, I'll create that space that I'm going to sit and do some work. Um, if I didn't bring that stuff with me and I'm just feeling called, oftentimes I'll actually gather some kind of things from the area around me and create something that actually you know sets the space so i think that's important and then from there just calling in protection asking for protection um whatever whatever source of protection you feel resonant with there's different there's different like dimensional layers of protection as i've learned through the steps um so i have my my protectors and you know i have i have beings that that offer that so I call those in um, and then I'll call in the directions. It's really important, I think. And I call in all seven directions. I don't know, some people call in the four directions. Some people call in, you know, what I learned from being in, um, with elders in North America and South America is that, you know, North America, the four directions are so important. In South America, they call the, up, the lower, you know, the upper and the middle. And I think when you combine them all, you really get the whole full picture. So it's, you know, north, yeah. northeast, southwest, below, above, and center. Yeah, yeah. So right. You, and, you then get a diamond structure and, and um, yeah. And um, like 
Chinese, we have the five elements, but then we have the censure and then the one that mediates between north and south. So yeah, it might absolutely make sense. So. Right, so I'll call in the directions just to get, again, like just to honor that and all the elements that'll go along with those different directions, which is different for different cultures. So I go based on the ones that I know and that I feel resonant with. Um, and then I call in the guides and masters that I feel are supporting this ceremony in that moment. So I don't call in the same beings, you know, each time. It's actually the beings that come that want to support that work that I'm doing in that here and now in that space. So, I mean, in Australia, gosh, I've learned about like a whole nother pantheon of gods and, you know, like, and, and ethereal beings that are here, like the Aboriginal elders, the, the spirit gods here are so different than like, just go, you know, you go up to India or you go up to Nepal and it's like a whole different story. Um, you go to North America, it's a whole different story. So you have to actually just listen and really feel like, okay, who's supporting? And you, you have all the different classes. You have the elementals, you have the archangels, you have, you know, the galactics, you have, you know, the beings that are our ancestors on the land. So you have to listen and kind of see who wants to be present for the ceremony, call those guys in. Um, and then you, and then for me, it's like, okay, I sit, maybe a song comes through, maybe a dance comes through, maybe a movement wants to happen and maybe I'm just still and I'm just channeling light. And that's, you know, that's kind of what, what happens. It's a really simple, you know, and then I have some kind of closure and some kind of, I love to give little offerings to the elementals and offerings to the beings that helped out and um, that might be flowers. It might just be like even just from the local area, you know, little nuts and seeds or, you know, just little things <laughs> as an offering of thanks and gratitude. Um, that's usually how I close things out. Yeah, it's, it's lovely. As I mean, I'm listening to you talk, I'm, I'm reminded two things of different cultures that I've seen that, you know, um, carry with them that sort of respect and acknowledgement of, of land spirits or the elementals. One was, um, you know, reading Khalil Gibran. The prophet. The story of the prophet, you know, and mm. um, the, you know, the, the master shaman or magician, whatever, before he went to a town, he would actually ask whether he had permission mm. to enter there from, from the sort of the elders and the spirits. And um, the other was just going to Bali the first time and, um, you know, the little ceremonies they do in the morning, you know, sort of straight, I don't know whether it's before breakfast or after breakfast, but as part of breakfast somehow, you know, just gathering the flowers that have formed from the tree, putting them on a little dish and then going out to the garden to, you know, the local um, spirit there and just putting it there and kind of giving thanks. And it's what a beautiful way of um, acknowledging yeah. and um, being, being with and um, being there. And that's what you, you know, for you, it seems to be intent and um, being of service. And just tapping into the power of now and um, you know whoever I'm listening. Listening is so huge, you know, because you're right. Like sometimes there are sites that you actually, I mean, I kind of feel in my physical body, but there's so many different ways of perceiving those other dimensions, right? So some people see it, some people hear it, some people feel it, some people just intuitively know it. But I know, I I know when I'm walking into a space. And there needs to be an acknowledgement of like uh, an ask, you know, there needs to be an ask, like, is, do I have permission? For example, going into the water hole at Uluru, it's clear to me, like I walk and I can feel the barrier there of the gate. 
you know, and there's no gate, there's no physical gate there, but I can feel the energetic gate where I'm like, oh, do I have permission to enter and be in the space? And you ask, and it's like, you know, they feel your your intent and your clarity, and it's like 100% yes, but the, you know, the listening, the deep listening that's required to walk that way, you know, that's important. I think that's what's important. So where did you learn the deep listening? Um, I think practicing this ceremony work, you know, I think practicing this land ceremony work because I spent the time, I did the work of spending the time in the unknown, the not knowing, you know, and that's the scariest part of this um, kind of development of self, right? If you're willing to actually put yourself out, I think the, the biggest growth I've ever had in this way of being is putting myself into a situation where I'm by myself uh, with the land and I don't have an agenda and I have a, a certain period of time that has to be filled somehow, <laughs> you know, and, and I don't know how I'm going to fill that time. And so that just inherently leads to listening. It inherently leads to like, what, tell me what I'm supposed to do because I don't have the plan. Right. So, yeah, it, it it's um, I put myself into those positions or those situations. And, you know, in the Native American tradition, they call it vision quest. You know, I just I just I just call it like, you know, journeying like it's just, it's you, you set up a certain time frame. You say, I'm not going to have a plan for this time frame. I'm going to spend this much time out in this environment and I'm going to do what feels organically right to do and listen. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think there's any kind of other training that says that's more profound than doing that. It's just, it's just challenging. I think people are scared to go those places. But I have a million stories of those kind of things that I've done. You know, I could, I could tell you about a healing journey that I had in Mount Shasta. I mean, I spent so yeah, much, so much, oh, I spend so much time in Mount Shasta. Mount Shasta is my etheric home. It really is like, that's where my soul feels like the most home in the, on the planet. Um, yeah, that place, I mean, I, I, w I told you a story. I told you a story, Julia, about um, how I got kicked out of a sound healing retreat, didn't I? Did I tell you this story? <laughs> so right so right at the end of my training as a psychotherapist I thought I'd treat myself and I had never done anything like this I just thought I'd never spent that much money I was like over a thousand dollars which was huge for me for a week of learning um the tuning forks right and sound healing and I was just like oh this is gonna be fabulous it was gonna be it was gonna happen in the Puget Sound and in Washington there's a whole you know whole area the islands and it's called the Puget Sound so I thought oh sound healing in the Puget Sound and it was uh advertised at this you know um new living expo and I just I had my heart set on it so I I I went for it and I just finished my master's in psychotherapy and and was training to become a psychotherapist and I get there 
And these women, and I'm reading um, Lynn Andrews. Do you know the, do you know Lynn Andrews, Julia? No. Okay, so Lynn Andrews is an author. She wrote a book called Star, uh, Star Woman and uh, uh, Jaguar Woman. And anyway, she was one of the first kind of white women to be like taken in and nurtured and nourished by these Native American elders. And then she wrote about it. And so it actually became popularized, I don't know, maybe in the 90s or something. I was reading this book at the time and it was just this weird thing where the book and my journey were kind of coalescing and and really like in sync with one another. Woodby Island is where this retreat was in the Puget Sound. So I go and I'm like, I'm gonna learn as tuning forks, I'm so excited. I was just like enthralled. So I get there and this woman is so disorganized, the retreat leader, she's Canadian, she's super disorganized. She has five people that she already knows have been part of her posse in Canada with her. And this woman's cooking, she hasn't even bought any of the groceries. We were supposed to have dinner at a certain time, that wasn't happening. We were supposed to do intentions in the ceremonial way that evening, that wasn't happening. And she was like, listen, I've been called by spirit to just allow the schedule to unfold as it's happening. And, you know, we don't need any kind of structure. <laughs> and at that time, I was just like, are you kidding me? You can't, you can't charge this much money and also like be the spiritual leader and also say like, we we don't have any schedule whatsoever. Like we're just going to go based off your flow. Like what about the group? the group flow. I was just so confused. So I didn't get it. I started asking her questions. And then she started to do this like gaslighting with the woman when we did the intention talk. And I was like, I started asking questions about that. But I was still in the very deep, like innocence, childlike state of, of being where I was like, I don't understand. Um, and I didn't realize that like, little by little, my questions were triggering her and making her angry and more angry and more angry. So by the time I was like, you know, not gonna, not gonna succumb to her like underhanded power grabbing. And she realized that she kicked me out of the retreat like the next morning. And we're on this island in Puget Sound. We had taken a ferry over. We were supposed to be there for a week. I was, I was just like, what am I gonna do? I spent all this money. So I immediately asked her, like, well, how can I, like, what are we going to do financially? And she wasn't going to give my money back. Oh. And I was just like, I was feeling like, how do I navigate this? Like, do I fall into the victim? I'm not going to do that. The whole, my intention of going to that retreat was to find my seat because I was becoming a therapist, right? So I needed to find my seat and find my grounding. And so that was my intent. And um, she was doing everything to pull me out of my seat and I wasn't budging so she kicked me out and they actually did this whole thing she got her crew of people to believe that I was this like evil influence on the retreat she actually used like you know little um hand gestures to in uh kind of uh almost like I was some kind of evil spirit that she needed to cast out. She was doing like Reiki symbols in my face to like cast me out like I was an evil spirit. I was so, so traumatizing. <laughs> but honestly, she got, she got the whole group to ceremonially drum me out. She asked me if I needed help. I said, no, and I'm walking up this long driveway, like not knowing what I'm gonna do. 
and I'm laughing because of the situation. I mean, it could have been like a whole skit on Saturday Night Live, right? Like I was just really aware that this could be like a full on comedy situation. And I was crying. I was crying and I was laughing. So I, I walked out of there and luckily enough, I had engaged with another woman on Whidbey um, who who was running programs, and I said I said to her I would love to spend you know spend some time with her. So I told her after the retreat I would come see her, and I told her what happened. So she had a place for me to stay. I go, I stay there. I'm just in a mess, but I found this amazing deal on a rental car, and um, I got the rental car for a week and just decided to do my own journey. And that was probably one of the beginning places that I started doing this journey work. So I, I just decided to just go where I wanted to go. And I ended up going to Mount Rainier. I ended up doing a little dedication and an earth ceremony there. And for Mount Rainier in, in Washington, which is this beautiful mountain at the top of the Cascade Range, I start weaving down and I go through Oregon and I get all the way down to Mount Shasta over you know the course of a few days. And when I walked into Mount Shasta, I walked into this beautiful crystal shop and I told the woman that was there in Mount Shasta about what had happened with this woman. And then I decided to do this, this, um, you know, journey through Mount Rainier all the way down and winding through the Cascades down to Shasta. And she said, you just traveled the blue streak. And she goes, here, she gives me a Mayan calendar. And from there, I started, I don't know why she gave me that. She's like, you should start tracking this because you just traveled the blue streak. I didn't know what she meant. I just knew that that whole journey was so magical. And I actually did feel like I found my seat. I found my, you know, my cradle. And then she gave me my calendar. So I started tracking it. Yep. And I still, I still track the Mayan calendar. It's actually, you know, this beautiful way that I feel like I've um, been able to build up synchronicity with natural time. Um, that was one thing actually I, I did want to share in this, in this talk is, is that um, one of the quickest ways I think we can actually achieve more synchronicity and more flow with natural rhythms and natural time is by tracking sacred time. And the easiest is through this Mayan calendar. I mean, it's a 13 moon, 28 day calendar. If you time, if you take 28 days and times it by 13, it's 364. So that's one day off from the solar cycle. Why we don't have that as our monthly cycle, I don't understand. The Gregorian calendar is made up by a pope in the whatever 16th century that decided they wanted to synchronize the pagan calendar with the um Judea and Christian holidays and so that's why we are tracking that but it doesn't it doesn't have anything to do with natural time so the Mayan calendar and your trip down Mount Shasta so sorry I don't, where where would that fit into the calendar where you like is it is it like there's a certain change in season and you were in sync with that or I think that the woman that I met well, first of all, she's the keeper of the 13th crystal skulls. <laughs> That's oh, first of all. Okay, we that. <laughs> That's a whole nother story, but she's she's the keeper of the 13th crystal skull. And she, um, on the 21st of the 12th, and, you know, 2012, she she brought that skull up to the top of Mount Shasta. And, and what, what she would say would be to actually birth the child's heart of humanity. 
that's what the big initiation that happened at the end of the Mayan calendar and the beginning of the new cycle, the new big cycle, she would say that that was about birthing the child's heart in humanity. And I think there was a big activation for a lot of people in 2012, you know, during that that activation and that period of transition. This is pause there. Jeff, you brought up a picture of Mount Shasta from the top. It's actually mm. quite interesting. I haven't seen this one. And um, what, what are the others? Oh, are just pins. Um, Looks sorry? like Shastina. So Shastina and Shasta are the two highest points on this volcanic mountain. But the whole, you know, this is one of the, just one of the um, mountains, but it's at the base of the Cascade Range that goes all the way up to Mount Rainier. But Mount Shasta itself um, is considered the root chakra of the planet. Okay. And it's such a powerful place. I mean, I, since I've been going up there, I think my sensitivity has grown. But I, you know, I used to feel the mountain about 20 minutes before getting to it. Like I used to get excited. And, you know, the last time I was there, I could feel it all the way like an hour before getting there. I could feel myself getting my heart getting excited because, um, okay, so Mount Shasta is a place where the Om crystal from Atlantis is etherically placed. So there were seven crystalline temples in Atlantis. And when, the, when Atlantis fell, the higher level beings of it, uh, that were, you know, kind of witnessing and over, overviewing that, that whole system and peri- period of light, I'll call it, like that, that era of light, they actually etherically um, moved those powered crystals to different places. So there's three that are um, triangulating the contiguous quartz mine of Arkansas. That's the second largest contiguous quartz mine is in Arkansas, the United States. And there's three that are surrounding the contiguous quartz mine in Brazil, which is the first largest contiguous quartz mine in Minas Gerais. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, but the, the own crystal, the seventh, temple crystal is theoretically theoretically placed in Mount Shasta. And I, well, because I've remembered past lives in Atlantis and maybe because I have that deep soul connection with that time, I know it, I feel it, I get it. Like, I I don't know, I just get excited when I when I had to that. I recognize it. Yeah, I, rec- <laughs> I recognize it. And I recognize those crystals. I mean, anybody who's like a crystal person will know that those crystals that come from Brazil and Minas Grace and those crystals that come from Arkansas are the highest frequency, can, you know, quartz crystals. Besides the Himalayan, I mean, you got your Himalayan quartz is also going to be super high vibe because it's right there by Mount Kailash. Mount Kailash is the crown chakra of the planet. Now, I've got a mate who's gone up there a few times um, tramping here, but the last time I went three years ago, he wasn't allowed to actually go into the national park. Oh, yeah. Mm. I finished that circumambulation of Mount Kailash on my 39th birthday. Oh, it was so beautiful. And then going down to that lake, oh, it was just my heart. I feel like Kuan Yin and Tara and, oh, there were so many beings that were present as I was doing that circumambulation. I put 21 crystals that I received from Egypt around that mountain. Wow. Yeah. You walk around it, did you? I did. 
took three days. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah. So high. The elevation is so high. And, and I just, you know, like the first day I'm, is the hardest day. You have to climb the highest and it's the highest elevation. You get to this tea house and you're literally passing all these Nepalese people and all these Tibetan people that do this like yearly. They do it year, they do it yearly and they're doing it in prayer for the compassion of humanity. And some of them are doing it in um, frustration. And it takes three months to do that. And they're doing this for the salvation of humanity. And it, you cannot understand until you do that walk what that actually re really means until you see these people doing this, these elders doing this, and these children doing this. It's like, you know, the people in Beverly Hills have no idea that the people in Tibet are praying for them. <laughs> you, know what yeah, I, yeah. you know what I mean? Like people on the street that are wrapped up in some kind of substance have no idea that there's a whole group of people praying for them. And it just, it, it just blew my mind. It brought me to so, I mean, I oh, was, I just blew, I just broke down. Mm. Mm. And you brought crystals from Egypt to Tibet. Well, tell us about the, yeah. how did you get crystals in Egypt? <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. All right. So, right. So I was in Egypt. So when I was in Egypt, um, we were, uh, I, <laughs> I don't even know how to go in those stories. Um, when I left San Francisco, I ended up in, in India. It was one of my little dreams to just go and, and be in an ashram in India and learn about yoga. I'd been a dancer all my life. I learned a lot of a lot about movement. I'd been doing yoga a long time. I thought, why not get a, a yoga certificate? So I had um, met one of these, Yogarishi Vishvaketu, beautiful, beautiful teacher, um, has an ashram in, in Rishikesh. And, and a friend of mine had gotten certified. I said, yeah, this is perfect. So I went. That was kind of like my ground base mm -hmm. after leaving San Francisco. I was like, I'll just ground, do this month-long thing here. Well, during that time, I was just dreaming about Mount Kailash, Mount Kailash. I just thought like, oh, I have to get there. How am I going to get there? Um, I just didn't even remember that it was a thing. And then I was there at the ashram and I was dreaming about it and I'm waking up like, I know that mountain. How do I know that mountain? Where is that mountain? I must be close. I could feel it. And I found it. I, I found that I was pretty close. So I booked a ticket after the ashram to go to Kathmandu. I thought that was what I was supposed to do. So I go to Kathmandu just to research, how can I get to Mount Kailash? Well, it wasn't time and it wasn't the right scenario. And, and literally I would have pushed it. Um, so they, I just say they, whatever happened, I, I, it felt like I got a wrench put in my, my hip. After doing a month of yoga and being like super limber and super healthy, I couldn't walk. I couldn't even walk through Kathmandu. Really? <laughs> so I was like, what am I supposed wow, to do? Banner in the works, literally. Yeah, that's it. And this woman that I had met in India and I couldn't stop running into, this woman is um, Egyptian-American. Mm. Her name is Rhonda, beautiful woman. And um, she basically 
we we just were running into each other in Rishikesh. It's not that common to like run into somebody over and over again. So we ran into each other by the fifth or sixth time we ran into each other in town. I was like, Rhonda, what, we need to go sit and have tea. What's happening here? And she was headed to Egypt to visit family and to be there as an adult for the first time. And she goes, you should join me. I was like, you're kidding me. I had no idea. In my heart, I was like, there's no way I'm getting, I'm getting Egypt this soon in my life. For me, I thought Egypt was like really far away, right? So I was like, there's no way. It can't be that easy, right? So I go to Kathmandu and I'm struggling with my hip and she calls me and she goes, what are you doing? Why are you in Egypt with me? And I was like, okay, I'm coming. <laughs> so I get to Egypt and sure enough, my hip thing resolves itself immediately. And she says to me, oh, meet me in Cairo. And immediately when I get there, she's like, oh, actually, my uncle sent me down the Nile on this boat. So just go to this place. So I was on my own in Cairo and I start exploring and, and navigating. And I and she connected with me a, uh, with a few people. Uh, so I got to just feel like I was being held. And I met this beautiful tour guide and and um, went on tour and in the pyramids and. When we went down into Luxor, I think it was Luxor, um, they take you to a, uh, what is it called? They mine the alabaster there, right? And they create all these beautiful alabaster vases and figurines, and they take you through these little shops, but they give you a demonstration of how they how they polish and how they, how they shape the alabaster. And um, it's like a form of calcite, right? So it's like an almost like an optical calcite. So they show this demonstration and these guys are drumming and I, I'm a dancer and I'm kind of a little wild child. So I just started moving and this guy was like, here, do the thing, you know, which is like this little drill. And so I'm dancing and doing the drill and I'm just making like a, a little bit of a spectacle, but just having fun, just kind of being a clown. And I go into the shop and I come out and this old guy, this elder comes to me with a huge smile on his face, he didn't speak any English, just spoke Arabic and dropped this whole handful of crystals in my palm wow. and five scarabs. And five scarabs. Yeah, these five scarabs and 21 of these pieces of these this alabaster calcite, optical calcite, and just nods at me and says, you know, shukra, shukra, like, thank you, thank you. And and um, I just was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. And of course the group that I was with, they're like, whoa, we couldn't, they couldn't believe that I just like got this gift from this elder. So I honored that. I mean, I have a scarab tattoo, uh, tattooed on my wrist and-, and um, Yeah, show us, show us. Yeah, I'll show you. Oops, can you, can I see? Oh, I can't quite twist it the right way. <laughs> there it is. Um, it's it's like a it's like a very primitive style scarab, but that was actually from a full um, uh, eclipse ceremony that I did on the top of Mount Shasta. My mom was always into scarabs. My grandma was always into scarabs, and yeah, and I, I feel like she, you know my mom's a Scorpio. I'm four times over Scorpio. I have four planets in Scorpio, and so we always talk about the underworld stuff and. I just got that put on my wrist. And so he gives me five scarabs and these crystals. And 21 is special to me because I was always into tarot. And in the tarot, the major arcana is 21 cards. And that's the ascension journey to me. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. So the, the major arcana 
is actually the ascension path encoded in symbol and story. Uh, so, so I thought it was just so profound that it gave me these 21 crystals and then the five, which is actually my soul path number and numerology, my birth date and my name, both equal five if you add it all up so, so you were exactly where you needed to be i was dance the star sang and i danced <laughs> yeah and then i just i just carried them around with me i don't know i just like i just didn't feel like they were supposed to leave and then when we got to mount kailash i was like oh this is what i'm supposed to do with these stones that's the other thing. It's like the listening, right? And the, and the, you know, somebody could have been like, I don't want to let these go because they were given to me and they're special and it's from Egypt. And, but I knew when I got there, I was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do with these stones. Yeah. And that's the gifts that you get through Gaia, isn't it? The shamans do that as well for walking and they pick up the feather and then they, they um, add value to it. But then they let it go when, when they feel them. Crystals apparently, do that, don't they? They sort of are pretty vocal about when <laughs> they arrive and then they depart, it's, like it or not, right? <laughs> that's true. That's true. And they tell you, they tell you where they want to go and who they want to go to. I mean, I give crystals away to almost everybody on my journey. You know, it's pretty... It's pretty rare that if you meet me and spend any kind of significant time. In fact, I have a crystal for you, Julia. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's pretty rare that, like, I meet somebody and I don't have that kind of offering for them or the crystals don't say, why don't you, why don't you let me go with her? <laughs> why don't you let me go with him? Because uh, I just keep collecting anyways. So I have this beautiful traveling altar that I take around with me. and. Mm. It's grown now that I've been in Australia for almost, you know, over a year now. I've been here since March 2020. So um, staying in one place actually lends lends itself to collecting okay. more things. <laughs> it's going to be really weird when they have to move again, <laughs> when I have to move around again. So from Egypt, did you go back to Nepal then, or what, what, what was the next call? Was okay, next so... Egypt, I went into Europe, I went into Greece, and I did all the activations there, all the different temples there. There's a whole series of temples around Greece, around Athens, that are that make a real amazing pentagram, kind of protective shape. And, and there's so much connection there. Obviously, the Greeks and the Romans and the Egyptians had a huge relationship just being across the Mediterranean. That so I, a bit love hate actually. <laughs> but there, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. But you know, who knows? Because it was a long time ago, and um, and then, oh my gosh, I got pulled to Jordan. Right. So uh, this woman that I actually met in Egypt invited me to go to Jordan, and um, the again another like unbelievable synchronicity, unplanned synchronicities. Um, of course, that's an oxymoron. You can't have a planned synchronicity. But I was in, I was in Greece for the Orthodox Easter, which doesn't mean a lot to me because I don't consider myself a Christian. I consider myself spiritual, but I understand religion, right? So I was there for the Orthodox Easter, and I what I didn't know was that they actually take a flame from Jerusalem and fly it in to the churches in Athens. So on Saturday night at midnight, they light up all these candles and they 
fireworks in the sky and like celebrate the resurrection, you know, of Jesus. I didn't know this. And so I'm, I actually had really hard time the couple days before I was going to Jordan, which I was leaving to Jordan on Monday, the day after that Orthodox Easter. And I was, um, I was literally felt like I was dying in my Airbnb. I was, I was, I don't know. I couldn't get myself to move. I just, all I wanted to do was go get wine at the corner store and just drown myself in my sorrows. And really, I was just feeling sorry for myself for no reason. I was, I felt like I was dying. Did you absorb the images around you? I guess. I mean, what I, once the, and then I had perfect clarity at about five to midnight, I just, got out of bed and I was like, what are you doing? Get outside, get some fresh air, move your body. And then these fireworks went off. And then I realized, oh my God, it's Orthodox Easter. I think I just had a resurrection moment. (laughs) (laughs) I think I had a Christ on the cross, a resurrection moment. I think I was actually like, like somehow psychically, somatically experiencing that, whatever. So then Monday, I go to I go flying to Jordan. I met this um, beautiful Australian uh, couple that were part of the military defense, and they were learning Arabic in Jordan. And they were in Egypt just for vacation, so they invited me to come and stay with them in Jordan. I get to Oman, and that night they're like, "Do you want to go to Jerusalem tomorrow?" And I said, what are you talking about? They're like, well, our defense attache owes us a trip to Jerusalem. And I'm sure he wouldn't mind taking you with us since you just arrived. So that morning we get up in the morning and I am in a military convoy to go to Jerusalem, an Australian military convoy. I'm an American in an Australian military convoy going to Jerusalem. And we get through the whole border checks. He beelines us straight to the Holy City and straight to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. I could not make this stuff up. Like, it's just two days after that whole resurrection experience, I'm in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Yep. And just, like, feeling the energies there. What was it like then? Oh. I mean, that whole... What I, you know what I really noticed about that? Because I'm tuned into the earth there, right? So it's not, it's not just the church. And that was spectacular, by the way, that photo that you have up right now. That whole thing is so spectacular. But that's been built on and built on and built on for centuries, right? The actual place that Jesus was buried was a cave, you know, underneath all of this now that's built up. So what I realized is that that land is supercharged because Jerusalem and the whole Dead Sea and everything is because there's two plates pulling away from each other. It's a huge, um, what do you call that? A rift zone where two tectonic plates are pulling away from each other. So there's literally deeper earth energy coming up the crack of those two tectonic plates and it's enriching the water and it's enriching the earth and it's enriching the energy. And that land has been fought over for centuries. It's still being fought over. And I guarantee you it's because the energy on the land has nothing to do with the religions. It's because of the power center that it is. Mm. I reckon you're right. What do you reckon, Jeff? Felt right. 
Yeah. They don't realize it, do they? No, they don't. And you know that Syria, oh, I'm just getting the chills right now. Syria was one of the last countries that had independence from the Interna International Monetary Fund, right? It was Iran, Syria, and Cuba that were the last countries to kind of fall to the IMF. Uh, North Korea. North Korea, thank you. And, the, and you know, Syria was, la was the last one to fall, but that is also really aligned with the rift zone. And it actually has some of the very earliest Sumerian kind of extraterrestrial underground artifacts there. And I'm sure that it is because of those sites and because of the other, you know, political stuff that that, that country fell first, because it's actually, we can talk about Cuba. I spent a heap of time in Cuba. I've spent, I've gone to Cuba three times now and done some serious energy work there because that's the closest place that you can get to the fire crystal of Atlantis because that's still actually an artifact underneath the ocean and they can't find it. And I guarantee you that's why they didn't close Guantanamo is because the Guantanamo is not open for any other reason than to look for that fire crystal of Atlantis. And it's really close. Yeah, I mean, I certainly know it with Jordan and Syria because uh, one of my best friends in London, she studied Arabic and economics, and um, they'd also gone to Syria and told me about it. But um, I know that I think even Nazi Germany, Adolf Hitler was interested in that area. And before him, First World War, there was a lot of explorers that unexplicably all ended up Russians, Germans, Brits. <laughs> You know, we're French, they all headed off to, you know, the Himalayas to, to sort of look for these magic artifacts, etc. Mm. Well, it's true. Hey, um, just taking it to a different level, in 1984, I met this guy called Al Billick here in Brisbane. Yeah. Now, Al Billick was one of two brothers who were involved in Project Rainbow, which was in 1942, was an American... Um, Rainbow Project Rainbow, which was about um, getting a destroyer called the Aldridge and um, making it radar invisibility. In fact, <coughs> um, Nikola Tesla was head scientist on the time, but um, there was a deadline that he had to make, and he realised that there was an issue that was going to happen with the crew. Anyway, so he got the sack, and a guy called um, Professor Nine took over, and. Um, the result is that you probably know it as the Philadelphia experiment. And um, the two uh, Cameron brothers uh, were involved in the project. And um, when the um, ship went into radar invisibility, it was really going into um, a San Amos fire. <clears throat> and it was like a big electric magnetic storm. And the two boys jumped off the ship, thinking they're going to be in the Pontonic River. In fact, they didn't. They turned up in Montauk mm. Reservation. Now, when well, I met him, <coughs> excuse me, here in Brisbane, um, he spoke about Americans had um, overcome time travel. And he went on to give a story about a, um, a movie called Final Countdown, and it was about the USS Nimitz, an aircraft carrier that was sent out of Pearl Harbor, and it went into a mysterious magnetic storm and went back to the day before Pearl Harbor. And they had a choice of taking out the whole um, Japanese Imperial fleet before they attacked Pearl Harbor. That was the quandary. But in fact, what actually happened, they ended up leaving um, one of the crew, a well-known um, commander, 
who then, when time travel came back and brought back the ship to 1982, um, it turns out that this commander had met up with the Secretary of Defence's secretary, and he was time and industries that actually then assisted in bringing through all the technology from 1982 to 1942. Mm. And he then went on, and then um, that's the, the movie side of the thing, a final countdown. He said, well, art imitates life. And he said, it actually happened, but it actually happened in 1929. And there was <laughs> an anomaly just off Caracas in Venezuela. And the US Navy sent three destroyers to find out what was the anomaly on the seabed. And what actually happened was when the three destroyers went across into that particular field of energy, they ended up in 1969. Mm. You know, when you talk about the fire crystal, that story that you just put forward reminded me of um, Al Billick saying, those ships went back to 1969 and what actually happened, the Americans, because they understood time travel, were able to give them gyroscopes and they actually sent them back to 1929. So, wow. so you uh, probably realise that the story of Bermuda and Triangle, that seems to have now disappeared off the radar, so to speak. It's almost like um, somewhere along the line they've actually found the, um, the anomaly in the crystal that's um, mm. created that problem. Yeah. Well, many times about the Bermuda Triangle is like, um, you know, the actual portal of Atlantis where they were sending minerals and different resources up to that moon of Jupiter where they were reestablishing life for the Temu. I mean, I mean, she's got a whole nother story about that Bermuda Triangle, but I will say that one of the land healing points that I was called to do was actually um, this trinity of women that I was working with. One was the, my Reiki master. One was another woman who was a Reiki master at the time who was you know, a student of my Reiki master, we were doing trade for a while and we were working as a trinity of women. And I realized when I was going to a conference in Florida that my Reiki master Julian was in Florida and the other woman was in the U.S. Virgin, going to be in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And I just felt like I have to go to Bermuda. We have to do this triangle of healing around this, this area of land or this area of the ocean. And so um, made that happen. I mean, it was, it, yeah, another story, another time. I mean, there's so, so many, when you know. Did you get the funds to, when did you get the funds to just go to Bermuda? Well, so that was the That's thing. Amazing. Well, okay, so maybe I need to share. I, I didn't have the funds really to go to Bermuda. I really stretched myself, but I knew I had to go. So I paid for it, right? And I, I had the money to go to this um, conference. And it was only like another... I don't know, $250 or something to like go to Bermuda. I got a cheap Airbnb. I got a little motor scooter running from the island. And I was supposed to fly back through, um, I flew to New York to fly to Bermuda, right? And I was supposed to just fly directly. No, I was going to fly back New York, Florida. And then I was catching my flight back to San Francisco. Well, I ended up being there overnight, just one night to do this work. And I went to the beach, did my little ceremony thing. This guy came up to me, this elder, maybe in his 60s, early 70s. He had like a little bandage around his knee, but I could see he was doing something kind of like Qigong on the, near the rock, near the ocean. And he saw what I was doing and he came up to me and said, I see what you're doing. And I really wanna just share something with you. And he starts, I said, sure. And he starts speaking to me in prose like just starts off his tongue, just rhyming and tells me this beautiful poem. 
And I just felt like in my heart, like this was a sage from a past life. Like I knew him. Anyways, I said, well, I'd love for you to sit down. I see your knee is hurt. I'd love to give you some Reiki on your knee. So I sit and I start giving him Reiki. And then he tells me about his life. He was a marathon runner on Bermuda, um, from Bermuda. And, you know, now he's just living his life out. And half the time he spends in Florida and half the time he spends here. And he'd love for me to spend the night. And I said, well, no, I have to catch my flight. And I, so I get off on my motorbike, but he gives me his phone number. Well, I don't know where, you know, talk about time travel. I mean, I thought I was tracking the time perfectly. I was doing all these little activations along the island edge. I thought I was in perfect time. I dropped the scooter off. I get to the airport. The counter is closed. There are no more flights leaving Bermuda. I am terrified because I'm like, I'm going to miss my connecting flight to San Francisco. There's no way I'm going to make it. I call this guy, I'm in tears. I said, I can't believe I'm even having to use your number. He said, no problem. He picks me up from the airport, takes me takes me over to his little village area, shows me all around, tells everybody I'm his daughter, you know, cooks me a meal that night, puts the pull out bed, we tell stories all night long, and he takes me to the airport in the morning, and I was crying because I didn't have, I didn't have money to buy another plane ticket, right? And he's like, don't worry about it buys me the plane ticket for the morning so I can go straight to Florida instead of having to do the connecting flight in New York, which actually makes the triangle instead of me going up to New York and to Bermuda and going back through New York and Florida, I actually create the triangle there. And I, I was within an hour of my connecting flight to San Francisco. I get back to San Francisco. He gives me his address. He gives me his Florida address. And I was like, I have to thank this man. I can't believe I was just in tears with the generosity. I hadn't, I hadn't had somebody given me anything like that, just out of, you know, just kindness, in a, you know, ever, <laughs> ever really. It was such a healing moment for me. And, and it was just so generous. And he's, you know, an Islander. And I just, I couldn't believe it. So anyways, I, I give him, I get him this very sweet card and package and I send it. And about a month later, I get it returned back, returned to sender. This address doesn't exist. What? Mm -hmm. Are you serious? Yep. Wow. That's Never so talk great. to him again. Time travel. Mm -hmm. He was there. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. So I have another. I no, have. No, a, wait, 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 wait. Oh, so, God. Because Jess is doing the pictures and I'm following this. So you're a bit like a, you know, like when you drop the pin on Google. So yeah. <laughs> I figure whoever is behind it lattice is like M Melanie is like a walking pin. I have <laughs> wherever she is. I would say Oh, I have a map. I have about they shift time a bit. I'm getting up to a I'm getting up to about a hundred major acupuncture points that I've put on the grid so far, at least. And what does what does the pattern is there a pattern or is it just like actually you'll you can see a pattern where I've done like if you make if you look at the whole globe, you yeah. can almost see how I did North America, I cut across Europe and the Middle East, and I go to Australia. It's this big diagonal of what I've done, but I have done some of Central and South America just at the tip here. Um, but yeah, it, it's this big band that goes from, you know, California. If you go down to Peru, you go across, well. Brazil? Uh, I haven't done Brazil, I but I did, I did Oman, Egypt. I did all, a lot of Europe. And then if you go across, I did some in India and Indonesia. That's where the diagonal comes in. If you look at Europe, 
Middle East, Australia. That's a really strong line that I've done of a lot of different points. But then there's all a whole heap of stuff I've done in North America because obviously like it's my, my homeland. But man, you know what I really, one of the places I love to go, one of the energy centers that I think is actually emerging and we're going to see a huge resurgence, uh, like a, a real, um, you know, unfolding of new earth energy coming out of Moscow. I really believe that people, people are, yeah, people are really like, you know, anti-Russia, Russia and the United States or they feel it's, but I actually, I think that Moscow is going to just unbelievably have this just heart opening offering for the world. Just trans, I think there's going to find a pathway for transcendence. Well, there, are, um, I actually have a, we had her on the show, Ray, uh, this way the Lithuanian that I worked with in Vietnam. And um, yeah, the Siberian shamans and the Molon shamans are actually, they've got an unbroken lineage tradition, just like indigenous ones here. Yeah. So I think there's um, resources to be tapped into unfold. Mm. So this is um, amazing. So if people are interested, you teach this, I know, I know you used to take, before COVID, you used to take people to Egypt and organize travels uh, trips so that people could go to sacred places with you well i was more, you know how people can connect with you or train with you yeah i was just beginning that work in 2020 i had like a i had like a seven chakra world tour planned and i had these sacred you know 13 day tours planned and everything really just got put on pause so that's that's been great as you both know i've been working with empty mini mace and learning a little bit more about this um this transmissions from the golden age of Egypt. And so I've been um, taking that and integrating that. I did, you know, I was just launching a mind calendar uh, activation series through my website before the solstice happened. And since then I've taken a pause on that. So all these stuffs are, you know, I really want to get back into teaching and offering, but right now it's still all in development. So if you do go to my website, I think there's only a few links that work. Like you could work with me one-on-one -on -one or um, there may be some, uh, I have to look at it right now, but I haven't done work on my website in a while. So it's all, it's all a little bit on pause until, until something opens up and, and uh, my heart feels like it's time to offer something. But right now, right now, I'm helping many develop those books on the Raha Arkate. Mm. And I see for your Facebook group, you call it Star Body Earth. What's the significance of that? Yeah, just that I think we all are, you know, we're all coming from our source place, wherever that is, um, whatever our pathway is um, from above. So that's the that's the essence of the beginning, and then having that essence actually come and be embodied. And actually linking it into the earth, you know, um, that that to me is the spirit path is actually recognizing our our higher level consciousness, what we have access to in that realm, because I actually think we have everyone has a different level of um, dimensional knowing that they can bring in. Uh, so there's that. How do we embody it? And then how do we actually walk it on the planet? And how do we actually give it back to the planet? That's my yeah. It's my offering. They say that you know, it's time for humanity to come back to you know being carers and guardians of the land and you know listening to to you 
you know, being of service and just setting out, you know, wholeheartedly to be wherever synchronicity takes you and then making time in places that, you know, could be deemed quite dangerous for for women on their own, you know, very, you know, kudos to you. I, I personally don't actually travel on my own if I can avoid it. I tend to play safe. So you know, that's a big thing that you're doing. Mm. Oh, thank you. I forget about that. I forget about that being a thing. <laughs> well, I've just had too many experiences where I get protection, you know, and I get, I get guidance, you know, people actually just show up and they're like, oh, here, come here. And I listen and I feel, oh yeah, I actually feel like I can trust them. And yeah, I guess it's, you know, by being vulnerable and exposed, um, you, that establishes the invite for people to connect with mm. you and protect you if, or guide you if that's, you know, or host you if that's needed. Whereas when we generally travel independently and we just organize what we're going to go, we sort of close off all those avenues and it's traditional. And, you know, certainly in a lot of the traditional cultures, it's, you know, especially with the nomads, it's like it's imperative that they welcome any stranger that's mm. in their country for exactly that reason they've turned up i think you have to know your own boundaries right that's a really important part of it if you if i didn't know my own boundaries i couldn't be open and curious right if i didn't know how to um not only know my own boundaries but be able to say them and speak them mm. when when i don't feel comfortable mm then I wouldn't be able to say yes when I do feel comfortable. So if for anybody who's interested in doing some of this work, I think that's the first step. It's like being able to speak your truth and saying, no, I don't feel comfortable with that. That's the first step. Wonderful. Hey, um, a lady I know called Vicky Cunningham has been sending some comments up here. Vicky's a bit like you. She's only like, I think I'm gonna have to get on the phone and ring up to Michael Jackson when he does another um, <laughs> Lord of the Rings and he needs another Hobbit. <clears throat> and Vicky's about four foot nine, four foot ten. She's gonna punch <laughs> me out. She's gonna step out and punch me out. Beautiful um, human being. She uh, lives on the north um, shore of um, Sydney. She's a nurse. She travels quite extensively around the world and takes on assignments. Um, yeah, she has a great love uh, for exactly what you're doing. Yeah, so um, you've done pretty well here, Melanie, to um, enlighten other people, and particularly people who have sort of walked that path and realise they themselves have been doing it as a solo journey. Mm. And um, most people would be listening to the show would probably think it seems really right out there, you know? It's right. <laughs> Why would you want to do that? And you're like, and yet some sort of ritual or some sort of um, most people might think, oh, it's a bit of mumbo-jumbo, because I noticed that one of my mates here said, well, you want to try bloody <coughs> driving on a winter road at 7 o'clock in the morning as opposed to, you know, come on public transport from Bribey Island. So he's been a cheeky bugger. But <laughs> we've got diametrically opposed, you know, people who have got some laughter and some humour and seeing things. And you've actually brought it to the, to the light. The question is that what you're doing is no different to all these major cathedrals all around the world who these guys all get dressed up and all this um, ritual stuff, mm. and they go and burn their incense and get the swinging things there, and then they get the little boy choir singing soprano stuff, and they do the little baptisms, I mean, except it's in a man-made bloody building, isn't it? 
Um, and yet this whole concept of ritual ceremony has gone through years of time and it's almost like you're almost like an um, archaeologist digging up all these different, um, mm. what do I say, pagan religions or really metaphysical traditions. But certainly crystals do play an important part in our own modern world, you know, starting from CB radio and crystal radios to liquid crystals and all the mm. electronics. So, you know, that quartz does hold a piezoelectric current, so it actually stores information. So mm. um, there's something to be said for all the comments that you've made today. I think it's been quite enlightening. Um, fair play to you. And um, I think it's great that you're with Aunty Minnie too. Oh, well, the biggest thing is I'm listening to you is actually um, the purpose of all this really, I think, has to do with not just reawakening these sites and these ley lines, but actually clearing the density that's been laid down on the earth. Right. And it's through doing this remembering and reconnecting not only with the land and the minerals but and the elements but with the actual nature spirits on the land because the minute you make a connection with them and give them a little bit of life energy life force energy or give them some recognition they go to work you know and i know this might bring up a lot of laughter in the comments and whatnot but there's so many interdimensional beings that want to help out too. And the more you rally those beings, the angelic realms and the, and the dragon realms and, you know, all these other beings of light that want to support, it's like they need an actual physical embodied vessel to work through in some way. Yeah. So they need the invite and um, the facilitator and the witness. Yes. And the purity of the heart. Yes. And um, if we don't clean up the densities from generations of wars and hate and, grabbing property and disrespecting and all you know demarcating and deprecating and all that you know we can sit and meditate but we're still <laughs> energetic gunk that has to be cleaned up that's right and men and men will say this too it's like you're either part of the cleaners or you're part of the crew that's being cleaned up so what are you gonna do are you gonna be part of the cleanup crew or are you gonna be the person that needs to be cleaned up hey um oh. i'll tell you that the subtle difference here is you brought up barley before and i haven't been there in the early 80s or whatever it was and yet those little um uh what do you call it flower um fauna with incense they always used to be there just after you've got up and went outside you had these sprayed all over the place and the thing was that the barley's um conception of their faith was quite interesting that when um, the 88 Australians, New Zealanders and English got killed in the Bali bombings, the Balinese went in there and they did this humongous big blessing and cleansing. And um, they actually helped those um, disconnect spirits to move on. Mm. The funny thing is that in the Western Christian philosophy, they'll go and build a monument and um you know i can particularly in london it's just chocolate up full of bloody heroes of, of war and um and then there's the memory of say the 11th of the 11th um when we have memorial day in the united states at a different date to the anzac day here in australia new zealand and so there's like a celebration of of war and a celebration of those who have gone to war and, and died and there was that 
from in Bali there was that ceremony taking place year in year out on the anniversary mm-hmm. um, and I suppose grief is so so real you don't understand unless you've lost someone so to go there just to stand there like they do in World War One at Flanders and, and watch all those um, young boys dying on the eastern or western front I mean all I'm trying to say here is the Balinese had a different philosophy of let's move on um, let's shift it out take it on move it out it's whereas like it, it the western one is let's keep back come back every year to celebrate it memorialize it mm-hmm. and draw back down um, those people who have passed over the intent is different yeah yeah it's just mm. it's quite an interesting contrast and I will say too though when I, I didn't really want to go to Bali I wasn't interested actually because of the eat pray love situation <laughs> I thought it was already too popularized and too you know too much of a spiritual tourist place right I knew it was an energy center but I didn't really care um, and it wasn't until my good friend Liz said, well, me and my family are going to be there. We want you to come and visit us for Thanksgiving. And I was coming down from Nepal and I was coming to Australia. So it made sense. I said, okay, I'll come and visit you and your family in Bali because I just absolutely adore that family. But I didn't really care about going. And then when I got there, I understood why. Actually, you know, I think about mm, 10, 15 years ago, there was a, um, a level of purity there around the traditions and the religions and i think there's still that underlying purity and then i think because of the monetization of all of this spiritual tourism there has now been a gloss over and there's some of those practices like you were saying julia where they make all these little delicate flower arrangements and whatnot i actually talked to someone there in bali a native who was saying now these women it's almost like the Joneses, like they have to outdo their neighbor with the offerings, right? So it's like, if you don't have this many offerings, you're looked down upon socially, right? Because you couldn't have the crew to make all these offerings in a regular way. And there's this thing happening. And it blew, it actually struck me because when I was there, especially in Ubud, I felt a lot of like, um, almost like impish nature spirits running around. Like there's a lot of like real, little, it's little, little, almost like, uh, like there's a lot of nature, there's a lot of spiritual energy for sure, but there's a lot of dark on top of the light. And I was expecting this huge like light force, right? And when I talked to that guy, I was like, oh, that's why. Because there's some people that are giving offerings from a place of, it's a different place. It's a it's a place of I have to do better than my neighbor with this offering rather so than I'm giving changed. offer. Yeah. So the intention changes. And then what are you calling in? You're calling in a little bit of an impish dark force energy. And I, I was feeling all sorts of dark. I actually I got to Ubud and I was like, I cannot do this by myself with the with the level of energy that I have right now. And I went to um, Flores and I did some I did some underwater exploration over there in that beautiful national park. And then I, I came back over to Bali and did the activation sites. There's six activation sites in Bali, actually. There's six and no, not many people know about that. There's only really three that are open to tourism. If you don't actually wanna go there, you would never know to go there. So that's one of the places that I'll, I'll be doing some earth activation tours around. I only made it to five. 
I missed the immortality portal. So I guess it's not time for me yet to be immortal, but <laughs> another time. I still, haven't, <laughs> I still haven't been in Fuji either. And I know that's one of the immortality sites. So <laughs> we have that yet to come. There's so much more. I'm only 40. Let's do this. <laughs> oh. Well, Melanie, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been wonderful to have you on the show. Yeah. And, um, yeah, sort of, um, it's been great to have you, you know, talk about your journey and and um, all the trials and tribulations and your learnings from that. And um, hopefully, I know there's a lot of people among the listeners who are doing that kind of stuff in their own way. So, you know, hopefully, we, you know, just by sharing those stories, we can we can be strengthened in, in our resolve to keep on doing that and that it's not completely crazy and it does make a difference. Mm. I'm sure it does. Next week we actually do have, Jeff, you're talking about the rituals um, to help people move on after tragedies and discomfort. We have uh, Steve Richards who um, works uh, with Dreamtime Healing and um, takes care of exactly that kind of uh, work as well less dousing places but more dousing people <laughs> little, um, entities or big entities that they might have picked up and lost so i hope you that are listening if you can join us next week that'd be wonderful and thank you very much from all of us here at radio fm 88 ah uh, thank you oh you're brilliant hey so very good um mel is, do you like called Mel or you just like Melanie? I like Melanie. I yeah. know that everybody shortens everything in Australia. Mm. <laughs> I prefer Melanie. You don't get called Melody. Nope. Okay. Nope. Mostly Melanie. Okay. Very good. And your family, uh, how do they uh, see your intrepid um, individual spirit going out there? Oh, yeah. My family loves it. My dad doesn't understand me at all, but the rest of my family um, totally, totally is open and and uh, they know they know that I'm very heart centered. He's he's got a pretty uh, pretty structured analytical mind, so it's hard for him to really grasp what I'm doing. Oh, you've got that Vulcan mind. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a hybrid. I think that's <laughs> I can understand both ways. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thank you. Um, you've already signed off, mate. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you.